Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfer subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Attention Social Security and SSI recipients. If you did not receive an economic impact payment for your eligible spouse or dependents, you may need to file a 2020 tax return with the IRS and claim the recovery rebate credit. Go to ssa.gov EIP to see if you need to file a tax return and if eligible for other refundable tax credits, like the child tax credit. That's ssa.gov EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Fatback Four Daily. It is Wednesday. It's the 11th of September. Um, I am Gav, as always, with you. Um, tonight's show, as you know, as always, is brought to you by Paddy Power. Paddy Power is a betting site, bookies, betting app, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, if you gamble, gamble with Paddy Power. If you you know, gamble responsibly, all that sort of stuff if you want odds on Liverpool, football, sport in general and everything else beyond that. Um this is the place for you to go. If you as I said, always gamble responsibly. If you don't gamble, disregard everything I've said. Don't worry about it. Um I'm not gonna hold it against you. It's absolutely your um it's your choice. Uh Noel Kowser is the first man in the house um on the chat. He says good morning Gav. Um Noel is either living many, many hours ahead of me or He's had a drink, and he thinks it's the morning. But either way, I'm I'm not I'm not too whatever. You're welcome, Noel. Absolutely. Um, what are we going to do tonight? I'm going to talk a little bit about, about the ticket prices um, that have caused a bit of a store with regards to the MK Dons game. I want to look at have a rotation for the game against Newcastle. Will it or will it won't happen? Um, and anything else that comes in, um, anything else that comes in, throw them at us. I have an Arsenal fan with me this evening. Uh, Davy is his name. Davy's going to join me. If you have any. Questions on Arsenal, absolutely throw them at Davy. If you have any questions at Liverpool, throw them at me. And listen, some of them might interlink attackers, defenders, tactics, rotation, you know, results, different things like that. Davy, how are you? How's it going? How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Um, 
you've heard that introduction. You know how it works. We have a live stream going. We have uh, we have people that are constantly throwing in their their opinions. So I will fire the match as we go along. Um, but first things first. Um, Arsenal fan, Arsenal fan all your life. Arsenal fan all my life, yeah, for me, for me sins. For your sins, absolutely. I've known the bad times and the good times, so uh, yeah, we're 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 in a middling at the moment, I would say. Okay, yeah, kind of middling. Um, we'll get into Arsenal a little bit as we go along. I want to have a look at a couple of areas of, the, of them as as we move along. The first thing I want to talk about, David, though, is um, just I don't know whether you've seen this story, but basically Liverpool play MK Dons away in the uh, League Cup, Carabao Cup. I don't know what it's called. Then it's it's one of those, and. Um, so what happened was Liverpool basically are drawn away, get their allocation of tickets, and as normal, um, you know, the tickets are given out to season ticket holders, and then obviously um, it's on to members and stuff of the club. Right? Um, I read something today about uh, from the Spirit of Shankly group, and the Spirit of Shankly group are saying, you know, I think it's something like twenty three quid for season ticket holders. And 28 quid then for members. So there's a disparity there. They've written, they've written to, um, both clubs and both clubs have agreed then that they will bring it down to 25 quid a ticket. The EFL have rejected this and basically says it, it is that it would counter, uh, their regulations, which is a bit mad. But I just wanted to speak, ask you about it as an Arsenal fan because I remember years, years ago going back and I think it was Bayern Munich held up a big display about the, the prices of tickets at, at the Emirates at the time. Is it something that needs to be sorted, Davey? Because you see this, you know, I think it's 30 quid max on an away ticket for a Premier League game now. Um, most, if not all, clubs have brought that in. But is there something that has to be done? Because Gary Neville spoke about na- naming rights for stadiums and the money you get from that can be subsidised tickets. Does something have to be done on it? I, I suppose from my perspective, you've kind of got a disparity between the two different types of clubs you have out there, right? You've obviously got Liverpool, which to me is is a local club. It's, you know what I mean? It's it's a it's probably you know one of the top five biggest clubs in the world, but it's still a local club attended by local people, friends, family. You know what I mean? And, and that's how Liverpool is. And to me, the ticket pricing for a club like that is kind of is, is aimed still at. The fan, you know what I mean? In general, it's aimed at the fan, it's aimed at the local, it's aimed at people who come to the game week in, week out, know the club inside out. Then you have the likes of, you know, and, and I would include the likes of, you know, your, your Newcastles, your, your Everton's, you know what I mean? Your Manchester United, Manchester City almost as well. Maybe not Man U as much. And um, then you've got the likes of your, your Arsenal, your West Ham, your Chelsea, your London clubs. And, and in truth, I think the likes, if you were to ask these clubs hand on heart, do they want do they want fans coming to matches? Do they care about atmosphere as much? I would say probably not. I think they're more so aimed at customers, people in London for the weekend um, who, who who don't question shelling out 90, 95, 100 pounds for a ticket. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm looking here at, at, at ticket prices, the highest sold ticket prices um, this season. The top four clubs that have sold the highest ticket prices are Arsenal, West Ham, Chelsea, Tottenham. Can't be a coincidence either. Do you know what I mean? And, and again, when you talk to these clubs now, the corporate people, their 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 angle on this is the fact that they don't want the same person having a repeat visit to the site week after week. What they want is is a new customer in that seat every week that will go and empty the it will empty the shop, it will empty the it will empty the the bars, it will empty the food. You know what I mean? And, and they can generate a maximum amount per head. Whereas the likes of the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, or Manchester City, Everton, I, I think they're they're still aiming at trying to keep the fan involved whilst whilst also trying to 
I suppose not price people out as well. But I, I do think I do think it's it's coming to a point. You know, as you said, you had the Bayern Munich, and um, I think they walked they walked they only entered the ground after the seventh minute to complain. And I think the stat at the time was now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I think they had said that the highest the highest price ticket on the evening of that game was the equivalent of a Bayern Munich season ticket, which I think was 120 pound. Um, so I, I do think it's coming to a head, but at the same time, you know. Clubs are greedy. They'll 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 force the issue as much as I think they they believe is is acceptable within the the demographic that that attends the stadium, you know. And and that is that is differing between between north south between the cities and between the the kind of the the more the more regional cities as well, you know. But um, yeah, I I, I do think it's something that needs to be looked at so you can get the regular fan back into the grounds as well. But do I believe the clubs have an appetite? Probably not. Yeah, you, when you look at the actual money they take in at the gate now, it's 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 probably very you know in as a ratio, I suppose. It's insignificant. Yes, as as towards you know all their other you know sponsorship deals, you know they, it's they have. Not make or break for yeah, the clubs. It's absolutely not not at this not at this moment now. Like if Liverpool have if Liverpool have fifty thousand. At a fifty thousand paying supporters at a, at, a, at a ground, and they're paying sixty quid a ticket. It's what's three million. So you're looking at about sixty million on league games a season. It's it's a, it's a substantial amount of money. But I suppose mm. when you look at all the the stuff that has to go into the ground and and you know policing and stewarding and and different things, you know it it doesn't it doesn't add up when it comes to short deals. Like Liverpool are being spoken about as a one billion pound um short deal with Nike uh, that could commence next season for 10 years it's it's 100 million a year you know um but it's it's just it's one of those things i just i just found it strange and and, and fair play to spirit of shanti they are they are a group they're a liverpool group that pick up on these things when they see supporters are being wrong i suppose i suppose that's the right word if they, yeah yeah if they are being wrong that they will pick it up they will stand up for supporters you know like that they, they were the ones that when there was talk of 77 pound tickets at anfield and they were the ones that you know um they were the ones that, you know, went and, and done this boycott. Yeah. I think it was on the 77th minute people walked out, you know, the kind yeah. of way. And, and, and it led to the club backtracking and they've frozen, yeah. they've frozen certain prices since then. But it's just one, it's just one of those, um, it's just one of those things, you know. Um, you, probably, you probably saw the Arsenal movement there as well, the We Care to You movement that we did at our club as well, where kind of all the significant groups, came together for the first time um, and I suppose they didn't it wasn't explicitly in relation to ticket prices but it was in relation to concerns about how the club has been privatised the club has been run and it has you know I suppose there's there's opinion in terms of how much of an impact it has had but it certainly it certainly provoked a response from the Cronkies you know it's resulted in uh, probably not you know directly resulted in, in, in some significant signings in the transfer market as well but I do believe it shows that you know if, if fan groups can mobilise if they can unite and if they can still remain kind of respectful in relation to how they go about these things. I do think there's there's definite value in what they do. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's just, you know, you do need these groups around around football clubs because the money is getting so big because, you know, it, you know when you look at short deals and you look at, you know, Liverpool made £155 million off TV rights last season. You know, they were showed on TV more than anybody else. You know, that I only know that because I'm a Liverpool fan. Arsenal probably made the equivalent of probably somewhere north of 100 million themselves. You know, and when you look at the TV money, the, the sponsorship deals, I'm sure you and Arsenal have a nice lucrative deal with, with Adidas now. Um, yeah. you know, they have no, good money from Emirates for their stadium and their, and their short sponsors. Liverpool, the same at Standard Chartered. Um, New Balance pay a lot of money 
it looks like Nike are going to try to pay them a colossal amount of money. So these these supporters groups are really important to not keep the club's feet on the ground, but but keep them a little bit honest at times. Oh, I would say that yeah, it ground it grounds the club, and I think a club, I think Liverpool is very good, and I think Klopp kind of in particular taps into the kind of you know the the locality and and the people that surround the club as well because that you know that is the heartbeat of the club and you know things are good now for Liverpool like Liverpool are on a, on a, on the massive crest of a wave and you know everything's coming easy for them but you know they it, it it's cyclical so these things you know Liverpool will fall off the top of the tree eventually they will slide off and that's when they'll need to rely on their on their fans again and they'll need the people to fall behind them and they'll you know you always need that that kind of generation coming through again do you know what i mean and 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 how you treat the fans whilst they're on the crest of a wave will all will always kind of mirror when you need to call it back on them again when things are are, are down a little bit as well you know so um and, and liverpool is one of the clubs i would i would say has very high value in relation to that as well you know what i mean they they, they do tend to Look after their supporters very well, and and they've you know you look at it and think right that's that's the model most clubs should be following at this stage as well you know. Well, well, the one thing I would say is FSG come in to Liverpool and, and <clears throat> you know I don't think they understand for understood football. They made some stupid comments. Let I'm not going to beat around the bush here. They made they made some stupid comments around where they could get Liverpool and what they could do, and they, they kind of ran before they could walk. Um, but they have listened, they have learned as they've gone along and the likes of ticket prices and interaction with, with supporters groups and different things has, has got better and better as it's gone along, it really has. Um, I've asked people for Arsenal questions, Chris Brack has asked me a question and he says, and it's it's going to be directed at you Dave because I'm not going to ask, <laughs> answer the Arsenal stuff um, because uh, I'm not as brave as you. Um, but he, he asks, it, it's a question that a lot of people have asked on this, during the transfer window, the Pepe was linked with Liverpool, he was linked with different clubs um, he goes to Arsenal for 72 million pounds I think was the, was the price in the end but he's asking um, I, I don't think I don't think he's asking you know sh- sh- you shouldn't have bought him I think he looks a real prospect so you could but it, Chris is just asking here do you feel that that was a, a necessary signing or do you feel that there's other parts of the squad that could have been bolstered and, and improved um, you know, before looking at the likes of a Pepe, um, I'm going to say probably centre midfield, the most definitely centre half. Um, I would say I would say our squad was so flawed going into this window that I I, I would say the natural consensus among a lot of Arsenal fans would have been choice between a centre back and a ball carrying winger, the likes of your Wilfred Zaha, or your Pepe, and I would say from watching Arsenal every week, they are absolutely craving a ball-carrying winger that can actually attack space, that can attack the channels, that can go forward like that. And I'd say, I'd say Pepe was absolutely required. I think Arsenal would have initially kind of gone with the, with the Zaha. I think they went to, I think they went to kind of low ball palace, you know, make it known that he's a, you know, he's a, he's an Arsenal fan. They went to low ball, didn't work out. And it was actually, that was the, that was the transfer I was discussing when the, the we care to you. And when, when Arsenal kind of mobilized that we care to you, in the same week they announced the Pepe deal, I would imagine they had it on the back burner for a long time. I'd say they tried to prioritise um, Zaha, but then went with Pepe as well. I think Pepe obviously went with Arsenal because there's there's one thing that Arsenal have, you know, and, and that's location being London. And I think yeah, a lot of people want London. Um, it's the lifestyle that offers as well. And I also think he probably looked at it seeing guaranteed starter with Arsenal, you know what I mean? And and he's a chance to progress his career. Um, you know, I, he's another one. He's a YouTube talent I, I, I can't claim to have known kind of 
overtly well from from his time in France. But I, I know a few people that would be very very kind of close to the French leagues, and and they were calling him out as a super talent. But as well, don't forget in that window. I mean, Arsenal. The reason we went for Pepe as well was because they were Nice were willing to accept that structured payment deal. You know what I mean? Which meant we could pay from over the five seasons, yeah. which it fit in with what we had as well. So it kind of it suited it suited all sides to to go with that deal as well. I from what I've seen, he seems kind of. He's what I'd call kind of a liquid footballer. He, his legs never look like they're they're they're, they're like strings, you know. They, they, he doesn't look overly powerful or muscular, but he seems to be able to kind of manipulate the ball very well, he, almost like a spree, the way a spree used to move a football around. Um, but he's good. But but don't forget Arsenal. Arsenal also invested very well in a centre half. They 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 bought Saliba from um, Sanetien. He'll stay there on loan for the rest of the season, but he he should add significant quality to the defence. And then also, the, I think what people were missing there was the fact that. You know, we have Tierney coming back from a, from an injury when he signed. We have Bellerin coming back from an injury from early in the season. Yeah. We've Saliba coming in. We've Rob Holding coming back from an injury. We've Torreira and Guendouzi after the additional season in England where they were kind of finding their feet. We do have Xhaka. I know he polarizes opposition. He, he polarizes our fans and other fans, but he he is a talented footballer. I think he's the next one to move on, but he is a talented footballer. And they're also looking at. I mean, they, they have the likes of. They have uh, Joe Willock coming through. They have um, Emil Smith Rowe coming through. They have uh, Reese Nelson. They have a lot of talent coming, a lot of British talent coming through as well. So I think where Arsenal strengthens, I think most fans would agree that. I mean, from, again, from what I'm seeing across, the consensus seems to be it's an eight and a half, nine out of ten window. And, and the other thing they've they've also managed to do really well is they've man- massive to offload. They managed to offload a massive wedge of wages. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's that's kind of. From Wenger's era, he gave very generous contracts to very average footballers. And I think if you, if you did a count, we probably offloaded, I would say, about 14 players worth about a million pounds a week. And that that is all available, I would think, or the majority of that money is available to put back into the squad in January and next season as well. So I think we're absolutely you know, on the right track. I think Pepe was was a perfect signing for us. I, I stand to be proven wrong, but and I'm not trying to get carried away in the hype machine, but I think he will prove to be an outstanding talent in the Premier League. But the other thing Arsenal fans have to accept now as well, where, where we don't work in the same lines as Liverpool is, I think when these players, and I, I talk about Guendouzi, I talk about Torreira, I talk about Pepe more so, is what when they become established talents, and you've already seen Guendouzi in the French squad, when they become established talents, I think we have to recognise now that our model will release them and we'll let them go for more money. And, you know, that's how we, I suppose that's how we plan to manage that self-sustaining model. Um, you know, as we know, Champions League is no longer a guarantee as well. But um, I suppose to to answer your question, yes, I think Pepe was an absolute requirement for that Arsenal side. Um, and I think they've had an excellent window overall as well, which I haven't said for a long time. <laughs> yeah, you probably haven't. Um, you know, so, some you you won't know what's going on here, but, but but I do a quiz. I've done a quiz over the transfer. I keep saying transfer window, and it's not over the fucking transfer window. It's over the international break. I I, I hate international breaks that much. I can't even utter the words sometimes. So I keep <laughs> I keep substituting with transfer window. Um, I've I've done quizzes over the international break. Um, you know, because there's there's a lot less to talk about when it comes to club football when this is going on. Somebody's asked here when is the next quiz? The next quiz is tomorrow night. Chris Brack. Who asked the, the original question here is the man that's going to come on tomorrow night. Ten questions from him, ten questions from me, and we see how we get on. I'm unbeaten at the minute, um, but the lads haven't done themselves any favours. Um, they need to, to brush up on the Liverpool stuff, and we get going from there. Uh, hit, hit him, Frank asks, uh, the invincible side of Arsenal versus the 97-point uh, team of Liverpool. He reckons Liverpool's is a bigger achievement, Davey. Uh, <laughs> uh, are we going to get into this? 
Jeez, I, I, you're, you're splitting hairs there anyway. I, I wouldn't argue it either way. Both, both exceptional sides. Yeah, uh, do you know something? Um, I, I had a little think about this the other day because I thought it would come up um, with, with yourself being on. And I think Liverpool's 97-point season is outrageous. 30, 30 wins, 7 draws, 1 defeat. I think Arsenal had 26 wins and 12. Would it be right? 12 draws. Yeah. But you have to, when you, when you weigh them both up, they're both brilliant because I think it's a harder league when Arsenal were in it. That's my yeah. opinion. Because I think teams rolled over for City. And to an extent for Liverpool, not as much. I think they felt he had a chance against Liverpool. Um, I'm, I'm put up to them every now and then, but Liverpool were outstanding. Arsenal, it was a much better team. It was a much better league at that stage, in my opinion. Um, it was a much more competitive league where you would, get, you would get teams that were 9th, 10th, 11th, having a real go at the, the top 3, 4, 5, you know? The, the, yeah, but the, the, the big thing for me was as well, though, was that they were never, they were almost, that Arsenal side, the Invincibles, were almost weren't sophisticated enough to transfer that form into Europe. They were almost kind of an English base. They were, they were a foreign, foreign players in an English league and they kind of thrived in that environment. Whereas they just couldn't seem to get their, their foot over the line in the European. And I'd be interested to see if these, you know, obviously Liverpool have transferred it, but to see if the likes of Man City as well can kind of transfer that form now into European. Cause it's like, regardless of what you say, those seasons, they're up, like they're just incredible to, to think of the levels of consistency. Um, and, and there's always a degree of luck as well with injuries and things like that as well. You know, I think any, any great club is only kind of two injuries away from, from really upsetting themselves. But, um, you wouldn't mind seeing it played out, would you, in front of your eyes? Just, just out of interest. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, um, you know, like you're talking about Pepe there and, you know, a necessary sign. And I, I agree with you. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I get the feeling, a lot of sides are trying to mirror what Liverpool's front three do, yeah. um, because it's so successful, and it's the probably the front three that worry City the most, um, because let's be honest, City you're you're competing against the country when you go up against City, you know, it's a, it's a it's an economy you're going up against, but when you watch Liverpool's front three, like I think United are trying to do it a little bit, but with Lacazette, with with Aubameyang, and with say Pepe, you are mm. looking at something similar to the way Liverpool are trying to do it, uh, yeah. you know, so. It's but what just, you're looking at, what you're looking at with Liverpool though is you're looking at three players and each player fits their role like 10 out of 10 perfectly. Whereas with Arsenal, you've got three equally talented footballers, but you end up with this almost uneven attacking trio of a centre forward playing on the left wing, a centre forward playing centre forward, but there's probably not, is probably not your fox in the box centre forward. And then you've got your right winger that's still trying to get used to the league and to the game as well. So, I mean, we do have, we do on paper, we do have, you know, a, an enviable front three, but I think there's a lot of work to do there as well. But the piece that always interests me is, and it, it, it was, it was kind of a hot topic last week because of the midfield we played in Anfield, you know, and, and people were saying, oh, Sabaya should have played because he would have been the link between our front three and our midfield. And, and, but he does you know, play that game at Anfield, but he's, he's, he, he does, but the big thing that kills me is that, like, we, we talk about missing this link man to, to our front three, but, like, Liverpool, Liverpool played Fabinho, Milner, Henderson, Wijnaldum. Henderson, Wijnaldum, Fabinho, yeah. One of them guys are link players, yet Liverpool never seem to struggle to get the ball to their front three. Or no, to because, a, because what, right. what Liverpool do is, and people need to realise this, and listen, I have arguments over with Liverpool fans all the time about Liverpool's midfield. Liverpool's midfield, first and foremost, is to be functional. And what I mean by that yeah. is, Protect us, win the ball, pressure the other side, get yeah. it back, 
and I'm going to be honest, Liverpool have five attackers on the pitch. It's the front three and it's the two full-backs. Yeah, and absolutely. these three lads are there to serve us all the time. I was at the Norwich City game at the first night of the season, okay? And I came out of the ground and I was kind of reading, you know, social media, you know, you reaction to the game and I was having a point and I seen this oh Henderson was this or Wijnaldum was that and oh, Fabinho was good but and I kind of went at one stage during the game and, and I, I don't tell a lie and I continuously see this uh, in Liverpool's play and people don't pick up on it and refuse to acknowledge it Jordan Henderson is standing in the middle of the park all right the Norwich mm. the Norwich left full goes and stands literally on the touchline on the halfway line right now, Mohamed Salah's thing should be, I'll drop back here because he's my man. And Jordan mm. Henderson continuously tells Mohamed Salah, you know, you stay where you are. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll come out of this midfield. I will protect that area for you. And you go and pin yourself to that left-hand centre-back. And, and what happens? The ball, Liverpool win the ball. Henderson goes around, mills into players, wins it back, gives it to somebody. He gives it to, and Salah's one-on-one with a centre-half. It's absolutely terrifying him. Liverpool's midfield is there to be functional. Now, don't get me wrong, yeah. I'd love to see more goals from them, like when Alden does for Holland. But you have to remember, if you have two full-backs flying and you have three, three and really good strikers, you know, and I call them strikers because I believe they are, I think any of them can play through the middle, so I, yeah. I call them strikers. Your midfield three then need to be, A, picking up the pieces, B, blocking off avenues, especially in your full-back areas, and protecting your centre-half. That's where Fabinho comes in. So... Yeah. But I will say on that day when I looked at Arsenal, I thought they're playing a diamond here. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. and 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 they had Cabellos or whatever way it's said the fourest up, and I thought no, 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 they need to get him deeper and and trying to influence the game. You know that yeah. way. It, yeah. that, that's just the way I found it that day. The, the big thing with Arsenal right now again is, and Arsenal are very like like Liverpool are without doubt the absolute finished product. You know what I mean? And they've they've I always say this about Liverpool. Any any great side has what I call a, a massive set of automatic. You know what I mean? Like nobody has to think about what they need to do next. Nobody needs to kind of even look over their shoulder to see where the other man is because it's just ingrained in them. They know it. They they know each other inside out. Whereas Arsenal right now week to week is, right, what's the formation? What are the midfield three? What way is it going to work? Liverpool change very little week to week. You know what I mean? And and it's so obvious when they walk onto the pitch. Do you know that way? And and, yeah. and those three and those three are your foundation, you know? And and they and and in turn they know that the two lads behind them, probably Matip and, and Van Dyke and Allison, you know, the confidence the confidence in that in that kind of six to defend the goal is is incredible. Whereas, you know, at the moment you know, we've made a lot of changes, which is difficult to do. We've made probably six changes to the first team in the last six months. But when you turn around, right, and you've got, and I call it, I call it kind of the Bermuda Triangle of, of, you've got Socrates, Louise, and Xhaka, you know, in front of your goalkeeper. You're kind of thinking, well, fuck me. Like literally anything can happen. You know what I mean? Like, like Luis is just as likely to pull somebody back as he is to put one in the top corner of the other goal. But like, that's a very uncertain footing to be on. Whereas Liverpool right now, you know, they're about as confident and about as sure-footed and automatic as it gets. And it's, you know, you can see it every week. You yeah. know, there's, there's no doubt in their heads going out onto the pitch that they're going to win this game, you know? Um, and, and I would say 95% of teams that go out on the pitch against Liverpool are already thinking, let's, let's just get this over with, lads, you know? We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> I have, I've, I've, there's a couple of um, mentions here for Arsene Wenger, right? Um, I'll, I'll couple them together. Um, Chris Brack asks, um, is Wenger's biggest failure that um, he couldn't win Arsenal the European Cup, especially in the team he had for the first 10 years? Um, now, he's not saying that it's easy. He has says that. And then North Red asks, do you still consider, well, I, 
do you consider Wenger a legend or did his loitering around for the last couple of the seasons kind of take the gloss off I suppose um, well, I would, I would think, I, I wouldn't say it's his biggest failure not to win a European Cup, but I would say it was his biggest regret. Um, you know, and if he, I, I'd say he's still asleep at nights over that that night in Paris where where they just couldn't get it over the line because that was, you know, that was that was a fabulous side he had as well. Now, don't get me wrong, Barcelona were good as well, um, but I, I think I think his biggest failure was almost came from that game where where he saw the Barcelona style, you know, and he and he, he kind of abandoned the Invincibles or, the, yeah. or that side kind of quite soon after that, and he got rid of his. I mean, that that you know, people always used to say about that Arsenal side, you'd line up beside them in the in the in the tunnel, and you know, you, you were talking Saul Campbell, Patrick Vieira, even even the the bloody winger Perez was you know six foot one, six foot two. Yeah. Like this was a monstrous team, and he obviously then he, he had the choice. He, he went to he obviously went to build the Emirates quite soon after that. He went with this, you know, what, what do they call it? What's the Barcelona style of play? Oh, the tiki-taka. Tiki-taka. He, went, he almost went with that style of tiki-taka midfield. He got away with it for a long time because he'd a genius in Cesc Fabregas in the midfield. But what I think he learned quite quickly was after he lost Fabregas was, you know, they don't grow on trees, players at this kind of vision. Like he was carrying the club for probably five seasons as well. And and, and I think then, and it's not, it's not, it's not that he failed. It's that I think... First of all, he, he had far too much control at one club and nobody was allowed to challenge his methods. And I think secondly, he failed to evolve. I think every manager gets to that point where they just fail to evolve. And it was very obvious, you know, at, at a certain point after, you know, pre post Emirates where, where clubs were becoming bigger, more athletic, more physical. And he was just, and, and even tactically clubs were developing and were evolving. Whereas it was very much, you know, the feedback we were getting from within the club was that, like Wenger played five aside five days a week in training. You know, Wenger didn't coach defense. Wenger put faith in players like Almunia. Somebody said to me Almunia played like seven, eight first team seasons at Arsenal. You know, like things like that. It was, it was crazy. And this is what was driving the fans. I think deep down, Arsenal fans will always love Wenger, but will always choose to remember his first 10 years as opposed to his second 10 years, you know? Yeah. And even if he'd have walked away after that, you know, that FA Cup against Chelsea, you know, all would have been forgiven. You know what I mean? He'd have walked away a legend, all forgiven. He pulled out that one last performance himself, Murta Sacker, a few more could have walked away happy. And and again, he failed to do he failed to recognise the the occasion or the moment. He stuck around for one more year. He was handing out contracts again to all his buddies and all his friends. He wasn't managing the budget correctly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean the club are the club are probably five, six, seven years behind the elite clubs now. Do you know what I mean? And we're, and we're slowly claw, clawing our way back. He'll always be loved. He'll always be respected. But I think people absolutely recognise now the man was seriously flawed when it came to you know evolving. Yeah. You know, and he, did, he became a dinosaur in a very modern world. You know, and and it's funny, isn't it? Because on uh, if you go back that twenty years, he comes into Arsenal, and you know, I've listened to podcasts where Ray Parler spoken, um, you know, Tony Adams has spoken, uh, you know, all these lads from that. You you know where I'm where I'm going with this? Yeah. Like Ray Parler talks of, um, I think it was the Tuesday Club they used to call it, and every Tuesday they get off early, and I think they might have had a Wednesday off. Yeah, they got off early on a Tuesday and they did a Wednesday off before a game on a Saturday. And they literally came out, went around the corner from Highbury and went on the lash. And yes. and the thing was, like, the, what they used to do was, they used to, um, uh, this was when George Graham was in charge. And what they used to do was, they used to go into training and they'd, you know, they'd run really hard and they'd be telling George Graham, this is brilliant, this training is brilliant. And George Graham used to go, oh, the lads love me. Lads, go on, off you go. And they'd let him, even, even though they were on a half day, they were getting off early for a half day they, they were playing this man but 
Wenger comes in and he's like, no, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't, you, you know, he revolutionizes mm. Arsenal anyway, and he has a massive effect on English football. You know, it's, uh, Parler also talks about the time they go away on a pre-season tour, and you have all the English lads, and they're all, um, going out, you know, go out for a few points and all, and the French lads are sitting having a cigarette in a cafe, you know, you know, yeah. so, so it, it's one, it's, it's, it's it's strange to see a guy that revolutionises a lot about because a lot of people and I would and I know people my age and older and probably a little bit younger will go back and go well Wenger came in and he and the thing was he stuck at the Ferguson very early on you know that yeah. kind of way and and he went and he had these methods and like but it's mad to see then that a guy that was so methodical and and so forward thinking in in the mid nineties comes to comes to you know. How many years ago was he gone now? He's only gone two years, but when you go back five or six years, it's crying out for him to, to revolutionise Arsenal again, and it doesn't happen. Um, I, I feel that the questions have been a little bit, not negative, but, but people have asked different things, you know. Um, here's one for you. Um, <laughs> what, a Liverpool fan says, have we ever really got over that Michael Thomas goal? Um, <laughs> and, and you know what the thing is, like, oh, oh, me, Phil Casey is a mutual friend of ours. Phil put me in contact with you for this podcast tonight. Phil Casey, I think that is the one thing that haunts Phil Casey more than anything in this world. Um, when it comes down to Liverpool going for the league last season in the European Cup final, he always turns around and goes, yeah, but why didn't John Barnes just take her in the fucking corner? Yeah, take you know, just take her in the fucking corner. And he goes absolutely berserk. I seen him have a meltdown one night completely unrelated to Arsenal, Liverpool or anything, and he literally came out with a five-minute rant about John Barnes not taking that ball in that corner. But um, Go on. No, I was just going to say, like, these these things, they have a funny way of kind of, you know, just burning themselves, you know, into your brain and just, and look, that was, you know, that was obviously just one of those moments where you look back and you, you always hope that you'll, that you'll kind of end up on the right side of one of these results as well, you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, like, I, I'll probably never live well, you know, it's unlikely I'll probably live to see my my team win it win a European Cup, you know. And I, I had a thirteen year old came up to me there a few weeks ago, you know, and and he said to me like, "Jesus, I can't believe I've had to wait thirteen years, but finally, you know, my dreams have come true, and I've seen my my team win a European Cup or win the European Champions League." You know, and I was kind of thinking, "Jesus, you don't know pain till you've you've been what we've been through." But even like I I what 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 grinds my gears sometimes and brings me back is is when I think about Michael Owen's winner in Cardiff against us yes, you know what I mean and, and, and somebody has asked here has, has Davey ever got over Stefan Honcho playing yeah, in goal that day the Honcho's handball and do you know what else do you know what else kills me as well from when I think of Liverpool games like like the, the six nils or the five nil hammerings like you can you can you can just accept them and move on because they were never it's it's the frustrating moments that kill me and I remember I, I it's it's the game I think I think Fabregas had scored in the Emirates I think he scored like a 96 minute penalty against you to go four three up do you remember and Dirk Kite went down the other end and Abue just ran into him for no reason oh, I ran into the back of Lucas yeah yeah or Lucas sorry yeah. he was yeah and he, and he, he scored four on and I remember that night my, 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 my now wife um, had texted me at 97 on 97 minutes after Fabregas scored to say congratulations you know mm. and she came home and I was just sitting on the couch and I said right now tonight, you, tonight's the lesson you never text anybody Till till that game is over. So like it's it's funny. I know I know that obviously that game kind of grinds on on Liverpool fans' gears, but it, it's those kind so of unlikely. Hold on, we're we're talking the four all here at Anfield. No, no, it was it was in the Emirates. I'm nearly sure it was in the Emirates. No, there was a four all at Anfield where Ar- Arshavin gets four. Liverpool are going for the title in no way all nine. Ben O'Neill, I think, equalises nearly. That's the right. End. Nearly gets yeah, the yeah. taken off. The one you're thinking of is Van Persie scores a penalty. I think Arsenal are in the run for the league. This is um, this I think is ten eleven. Daglish is, is in charge of Liverpool. Uh, Van Persie gets a 92-minute penalty. Liverpool go up the other end. There's five minutes of injury time, six. And Abouye hits the back of Lucas. Quite equalises. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wenger, Wenger goes mad and Daglish tells him to fuck off. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's what that's what you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was one that just really stuck in my stuck in my throat as well. But look, that's that's kind of half the joy, isn't it? Like for every for every moment, every football fan's the same. Like you know, somebody will say, "Well, you just won the Champions League," and you're going thinking, "Yeah, but like, why didn't Barnes just stick the bleeding ball out?" You know what I mean? We'd we'd have still won the league. You know, you like it's just it's in our nature we're, we're never happy or we'll always kind of we'll always go back to that that one moment that cost us something as opposed to just been able to to take it out of our minds and i mean look at least at least you guys have never had to had to experience manuel almunia in a, in a champions league final you know that was that, yeah. that's that's really how how to live on the edge <laughs> uh liverpool versus everybody asks the best beer in ireland i'll let you go first davy Oh well, do you know what? I, I I'm I'm not the man to be asking here. I drink Budweiser. <laughs> right. Well, you're definitely not the man to ask. Um, <laughs> Liverpool versus everybody. Um, if you if you get a good point to Guinness, it's phenomenal. Um, it really, really is. I only started drinking about a year ago. Not even a year ago. Um, yeah, I I was in a pub. I said to a guy, I don't even drink that stuff, and he goes, I'll just try one, and I loved it. Um, but. Beer wise, look, it's all the it's all the, the oh, standard it's all, stuff. It's all chemical piss now, isn't it? Yeah, I like the German malt beers. I like them. You know, the the cloudy stuff doesn't give you a hangover. Yeah, go for something we, like that. We uh, pretend to IPAs, but like we're just not. Yeah. Now, um, Liverpool have Newcastle at the weekend, Davy. Um, yes. Early kick off, twelve thirty. I'm actually in yeah. London, so I'm gonna find the pub to watch it in. Um, I was thinking a bit earlier about rotation and and. You know what Liverpool could do. Maybe Firmino, after being away with Brazil, might take a break. But he's flying since since the Copa America, which is yeah, they were beaten. They were beaten last night, weren't they? By they were uh, beaten one 0 by Peru. Yeah, um, but Firmino came back last season after World Cup and took a long time to get going. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm just looking, and uh, so I was looking at that, and I was thinking. You know, we might do this, we might do that, but I'm really confident in the squad that we have. Like you said there a couple of minutes ago, Liverpool go on to a pitch now and they're in no doubt they're winning the game. And it mm. doesn't matter if it's 60, 70, 80 minutes, they're, they're, they're completely in the zone that they're winning the game. And they break teams down by making them run a hell of a lot. And then when they're tired, they, they hit them. Um, but just in terms of the Arsenal um, squad, is there a lot there? Do you feel there's a lot there that if, if you need to, you know, if Aubameyang needs a rest or a Lacazette or, you know, maybe, I don't know, pick pick anyone else. Gendouzi. Well, I, was, I like I was, a man Gendouzi, I have to be honest with you. You know, yeah. it, it, is it, do you feel there's enough there that they had to go out and make two or three changes to, say, I, say for argument's sake, a Lacazette and the goalkeeper? I think, I think there's enough tactically to 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 put out sides every week, you know what I mean? But it's very, like, it's very hard when you have a front three like Liverpool have or Arsenal have, once you take one of them out, it's very hard to kind of, I know, I know you guys have Shikiri, and I'm just thinking for Mino, like Origi, Origi is almost the perfect, you know, you should be looking to give him 10, 15 games a season in the league when, you know, when the likes of Firmino is coming home from Brazil, just to give him, you know, Firmino is coming home from Brazil, you're home to Newcastle, you've got Origi there who's proven, you know, who's proven himself on the big occasion for you guys. That's textbook. Take out Firmino, give him the, give him the few minutes, you know, anyway. Have him on the bench, put him in when you need to. And I'm, I'm more, I have to say, I'm a bigger fan of, I don't like this, this, six, seven changes because it looks like a, a, an inferior opponent is coming. I'd be more of a fan of making one rotation a game. You know what I mean? And, and I like the idea, A, of putting the younger kids or the, the less experienced players in with a full side 10. So at least then they've got the, the experience around them. I don't like putting five or six second choice players in together because they're all kind of nervous together then. But then I also think, you know, the style of play that Klopp, and Klopp's not kind of as gegenpressing as he, as he used to. It's not as kind of 
furious as it used to be. No, they absolutely not. They're better at picking their moments now, I think, as opposed to just it. It used to be just fire and thunder, and I think everyone assumed that's how it had to be. Whereas now they've got that perfect balance of they'll hold, 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 and then all of a sudden they don't give you a second. And um, so I think from Liverpool's perspective, I would certainly look at you know giving giving Firmino the rest, put Origi in. I'm surprised Shakiri doesn't get you know doesn't seem to get any minutes really with he, Liverpool. To be he? honest, to be honest with you, um, he, he got a good run and at the first at the start of last season. Um, he was really good, and then he—I don't know whether he got an injury, but he went off the boil a little bit. There's a couple of games he played, and he didn't quite really impress. There was one where he came on at Old Trafford against United. United were absolutely there for the taking. I think they had to make three subs before half time, and they were appalling. And Shakiri was the fourth sub, brought him on, and he was—he was probably brought on to, you know, influence the game and and pick a lock, I suppose, you know, around yeah. United. And it didn't happen for him. And since that, he just seemed to disappear. He, he had an injury over the summer. He came back. He was late back to pre-season. He stayed away from Switzerland, supposedly to to improve his fitness and, and get into Klopp's, you know, mind again. But then there was talk that he refused to go away to Switzerland because he didn't make him captain. There was all sorts of stuff like mm. that. But, you know, it's one of those where... Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to be in a good space at the moment anyway. No, he doesn't seem to be in a good space, but I think I think most managers I think will go out and try be, up to that international break, try play their best team, you know, use them, get them through it away mm. in the international break, and then they come back, assess, and see where they're going. You know, this, I, I I believe uh, most, if not all, Premier League managers, you know, literally plan weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks in advance, and they're picking teams already and just kind of monitoring situations as it goes along. But it's funny though because you know you're at this you're at this weird kind of moment and it's the same every season now but it's it's this funny moment where you're trying to pick like the manager as you said they're planning but they're they're, they're literally they're planning for four games they lose their players for two weeks and now they're back they have to plan again it's only four more games before the international break again you know what I mean so it's it's very difficult to kind of you know generate that momentum which you obviously want to get with your formation with your players but then you've got to consider their travel arrangements their injuries and let's be honest I, I like I always say like we we really haven't a clue what's happening behind the scenes in terms of niggles or you know yeah. psychologically how a player is or you know there, there's a lot we don't get to consider when when selections are made um, and 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 it is it is a massive consideration for the likes of you know Liverpool bringing bringing Firmino back in cuz you know, he's the cog around which your 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 front three, four, five kind of operate. Do you know what I mean? He's that central cog that everything works around, and it, it is difficult, I would imagine, you know, to leave him out. And look, hindsight's always a wonderful thing. I remember Arsenal did it last season against Palace. They made three or four changes, and they put in some really fucking seriously poor players. Everyone was okay before the game because they thought they still had enough on the pitch to win. They were beaten three two, cost them the Champions League, and and we still harp on about it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you know, it, rotation's wonderful as long as it works and that's always been my approach to it it's always wonderful as long as it works but if you lose like if Liverpool take out Firmino you know what I mean give give Van Dijk a rest whatever it may be I mean Van Dijk shouldn't really need to kick a ball on Saturday but let's say they do give him a rest and Liverpool drop points yeah. all of a sudden you're thinking well that, that's madness well we're in, we're in we're in a situation where you, as a Liverpool fan I feel that you can't drop a point in this Premier League that's how relentless it's got you know, it is relentless. And, and, you know, 97 and 98 points is absolutely savage from two teams last season. You know, um, it was just absolutely u- unbelievable. Um, Arsenal are away to Watford, am I right? We are, yes. Okay, so, so Watford, have, Watford have sacked the manager. So yeah. basically what will happen then on, is it Saturday or Sunday, is it? 
Sunday half four. Sunday half four. Basically what'll happen is they will get something of the equivalent of David Moyes, roll him yeah. in, stick him in the dugout, 2-0 win to Watford they've because got him, manager got him already. Your man's back. Kike Sanchez Flores is already oh, there. You go. He's back. They announced, they announced him. Something funny happened there because your man, your man, I don't know if he resigned or if he was fired. No, he was he, sacked. He was sacked and they'd announced Kike Sanchez Flores within five minutes. So ah, they obviously okay. the whole thing might go. But he had left previously because he had, he was unhappy with with the board, so obviously there's been conversations there, and he's he's come back in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sure. Look, we have the we have the dreaded bounce now. Danny Welbeck, probably ninety third minute winner. Oh, Jesus, uh, <laughs> and uh, Troy Deeney knocking one in at some stage. Troy is injured, so he's not back till January. Ah, uh, he's still scoring Saturday. The, the well, bounce. Everyone says like that he's our crooks and he, he's Arsenal's you know thing, but like since he scored the winner against us like five or six games ago, he's he's missed the penalty, he's been sent off, and he's been substituted, injured twice since he's played us. So <laughs> you know he, he's not as he's not as much as a of a of a hoodoo as, as people think. Um, but it's a, it's a difficult fixture. I know I know um, they're defensively they're very poor Watford. And I think I think they they play a, a kind of small nimble front three now. I think they play Pereira, De La Feu, and Germain Andre Gray up front now. So yeah. I mean. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the the game it was last season. You know what I mean? They they kicked the shite out of us last season, but we still bet them one nil. But um, I'll be. But like for us, every week we don't know what's coming. Do you know what I mean? We yeah. we don't know. We 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 know that we know the we know the back five. You know, we know the keeper and the full backs and and the centre backs at this stage. We don't really know the midfield three, and we don't know if he's going to go with the front three away from home either. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. Um. I think Lacazette's carrying an injury, but he doesn't get in with France, so I assume he'll be a starter. Aubameyang will probably start. Pepe, he might, he might, he might not. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and then he's still, he's still. I, I assume he's still looking to try and get the likes of you know Ozil back in the squad. Give Willock, you know, a, a couple of minutes as well. So, uh, and Sabayas, I assume Sabayas. I mean, Jesus, he'd be the first name on my. He'd be the first name on my team sheet every week. You know, he's a, he's a fabulous footballer. I think once he gets used to English football, um, I think we've a, we've a serious talent, if only temporarily for the moment. But um, I don't know if you saw him for Spain there during the week. But Jesus, some of his passing was just yeah. He is he's, a, he's a player. There's no doubt about it. He is a player. There's no doubt about it. Uh, give me your prediction for the for the Watford Arsenal game. Watford Arsenal. I'm going to go with a two one for Arsenal. Okay, and give, you might as well give me a prediction for Liverpool Newcastle as well. All three now. Trino, okay. Yeah. Um, last question. Um, listen, if people people are watching this, they've watched it on Twitter. You're watching it on on, on YouTube. Um, don't forget to share it. Don't forget to your timelines. Don't forget to let people know. Subscribe to the channel. The more people we get in here, the more questions we get. Like, why didn't John Barnes take it in the corner? Um, so <laughs> look, look, the more we get, the better. Absolutely. So I always say that every show. I'm just reminding you. Um. I'm going to go on to one last little thing before I finish, but uh, tomorrow night we have Chris Brack on to do the quiz. Um, Friday, I'll have to announce what's going on because I'm in London. Saturday, I will probably do something from the pub um, while watching the, watching the uh, just after watching the Liverpool game. Um, it's been a really good show. I've really enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Davey for coming on. But Davey, the last thing, and it's a question that popped up here. Um, I think it might have been a guy called Kevin Sullivan said it. Um, and he wants to know what way do you feel about the Europa League? Could it stifle Arsenal this season? Um, I, I'd be surprised if it stifled us this season. I, I think he's learned his lessons from last season. I think Emery came in. I think he was trying to find out about all his players last season. So he was putting them all in for a lot of the games. I think he'll manage the group stages a lot more carefully now. I think he will he will put in the young ones. I think he will use the likes of his Mustafis, you know, that, that are not going to get regular game time. Um, and I, I'd be surprised if we saw, if we saw him going too strong, um, in the group stages. Um, and then I think he'll, he'll pick it as he needs it. But I mean, 
the one thing with it that that's in the back of my mind about Emery this season is it's it's all or nothing on him this season. He knows regardless of how he does it or what he does, he needs Champions League football. And I think he will I think he will prioritize the top 4 in the Premier League and then I think he will take the Europa League. I think he'll take it step by step this season, but I think I think he blew our, our league chances on the Europa League last season and it backfired badly and I'd say he got a bit of a bollocking behind the scenes. He's going to have to he's going to have to um Weigh these up, isn't he? Come yeah. January, February, March. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, the, the big thing they have at the moment, the Arsenal is, is they they have a chance to go back in January if the, if they're it kind of if it all comes together and they need one or two players. Um, but you know, again, look, we we did that two seasons ago. We bought a Bamiang and couldn't bleed and use him uh, in the Europa League, which probably cost us as well against Atletico Madrid. Um, but no, I'd be I'd be I'd be surprised if we didn't see just a slightly more cerebral approach to to the, the group stages and just navigating it. There's no point beating everybody 4 nothing in the group stages, going through, you know, and, and having Ozil. And, you know, the, these would have been our top players last season. You've, you've Ozil, you've, you've Nacho Monreal, you've all these guys who know the game inside out thinking, you know, why the fuck am I on a six-hour plane ride to Bratislava here? You know what I mean? Like, now it's a chance to put in the kids. They've got the quality. They've got the, they've got the necessary kind of ability now it's about getting them game time on pitch as well. And I think, and I think, sorry, just one more point is I think that's the Arsenal model now. I think it's going to slightly mirror Chelsea's model in terms of bringing through kids, giving them a little bit of game time. And if they're not going to be Arsenal quality, let's use them to navigate the, the group stages of the Europa League, nearly the Champions League, Jesus. I wish. Let's get them, let's get them game time. Let's let them navigate the group stages of the Europa League. Let's get them a few league minutes and then let's sell them on for three, four, five million. They did that with a few players this summer as well, kind of under the radar. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a way of these top clubs now earning, you know, 10, 15, 20 million a summer. Um, which if you can reinvest in a top player is, is, is a massive bonus. Um, so I, I think that's, that's how I would expect to see Emery kind of navigate the, because it's a, it's a, an absolute slog of a competition. Yeah, it's, it's, it's madness. It's about four, yeah. it's about 45 games, I think, to win it. I think, I think I read with 14,000 miles to yeah. travel. There you go. It's absolutely mad. Um, yes or no? Do you win? Do you get top four? Yes. Okay, good man. I like this. I like a man that's confident. Um, um, right. I think that's about it. Um, as I said, uh, Chris Brack is on tomorrow for the quiz, 10 p.m. Um, I can't wait to get my questions ready tomorrow for Chris. I'm sure he's feeling the same. Um, nobody on the on the chat seems to like Heavy D, the Arsenal fan. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> uh, they, they think the guy with the headphones is okay. They think the host is sound and the old fella is great crack. Um, what that means, I don't know. Indy yeah. Coyle is on Twitter at the moment. He's telling people that uh, Man City are going to try sign Paul Pogba. Indy Coyle is an, uh, what a bloke. What a bloke. Um, <laughs> Kerkers wants Brewster in the team. Um, I yeah, presume for, I'm, I'm, I'm presuming for the uh, weekend. Uh, Barry Carr says we need to get an Evertonian on if he can find one. I'm in the process of speaking to one. I really, really am. Um, but look, that's been it. That's been the Fatback for Daily. It has been a pleasure. Uh, Davey, you have been very honest, very candid. Um, and look, uh, you've been a good sport overall. Um, thanks, for, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Talk to you tomorrow. Over now. Now serving F-27 at DMV window number 16. Okay, Rose, we're second in line. Perfect, Rose. You remembered the birth certificate? Yes, and we have our electric bill. Excellent. We'll be Real ID ready in no time. Real ID ready to visit our grandson, Ricky, at Fort Bragg. Then fly to New Orleans for Jazz Fest. Pardon me, are you talking to yourself? Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I am. Talk yourself into Real ID readiness by May 3rd, 2023. Make a plan at dhs.gov slash realid. 
so here you are right now wanting more if it's a more fulfilling career you're after marquette university's direct entry msn program in milwaukee or pleasant prairie can help designed for non-nursing college graduates the program makes it possible to earn a master's in nursing in less than 21 months so if you're ready to serve the greater good as a marquette nurse set your education in motion today search marquette direct entry msn to apply Social Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.